Good afternoon and welcome to Powering the Connected Hospital of the Future with 5G, Edge Compute, and Intelligent Networking, a health system CIO Media Inc. production sponsored by Verizon. Just a little housekeeping before we get started. My name is Anthony Guerra. I'm the Editor-in-Chief of Health Systems CIO, and I will be your moderator today. We're looking forward to your participation. You can send in your questions or comments at any time in the Q&A box. We'll take those later in the program. And we're going to have a one-question audience poll to get everyone involved. Nice way to view the screen. Click on the top center. Get it in side-by-side -side mode. Then you can adjust the divider to get the slides and the video boxes the size you want them. And it should say speaker view in the top uh, right-hand corner. Just so you see how we're going to spend our time today, we're going to go about 35 or 40 minutes with our main panel discussion featuring John Kravitz, CIO at Geisinger Health System, Jim Brady, VP of Information Security and Infrastructure, and CISO with the Fairview Health Services, and Richard Entrup, Managing Director of 5G Mech Strategy and Innovation with Verizon Business Group. So without any further delay, let's jump right in. This is going to be a very interesting conversation. John, let's start with you. Can you give us an overview of your organization and your role? Yeah, certainly, Anthony. It's uh, my pleasure. John Kravitz. Um, Geisinger is a, um, actually an academic integrated delivery network. So we do have a medical school, although be it small, about 500 uh, physicians in training. But we do have uh, graduate programs for medical technologies and other things with about 2,000 students. Uh, we'll continue to grow that with the nursing school coming next. Uh, very much uh, engaged with a, uh, a health plan of about 600,000 members, as well as the clinical enterprise, which serves about 3 million patients in our population area. Uh, we have 3 million patients that we service uh, over that period of time. Uh, 11 hospital campuses and about 500 clinic locations. Um, and my role is the corporate uh, CIO, so I have responsibility over all areas of the organization and uh, all strategy work and, uh, you know, cloud computing and everything else is part of my role. So thank you. Very good. Thank you, John. Jim? All right. Yeah. Good uh, morning, everybody. Uh, Jim Brady. I'm the uh, VP of <clears throat> Security and Infrastructure at Fairview Health Services. Uh, I've been at the organization for about a year. Um, and uh, just a little bit about the organization, very similar to John's organization. Uh, we're in a different state uh, in the Twin Cities, uh, but we're made up of uh, 12 hospitals, about 56 primary care clinics, over 100 specialties. Uh, we also have a health plan uh, with about 360,000 members. We have 2.1 uh, visits usually a year. So I think there's a lot of similarities. And then we're affiliated with the University of uh, Minnesota Med School and University of Minnesota Physician Group uh, to have a partnership uh, which is uh, called M Health Fairview. So we're three separate organizations, but we partner to uh, our primary purpose in that partnership, uh, which is the core of, uh, of our um, mission at uh, Fairview Health, is to provide uh, complex quaternary and tertiary uh, academic med medical care uh, to our patients uh, as well as primary care. So happy to be on the uh, on the webinar and looking forward to the discussion. Very good, Jim. Thank you, Richard. Hi, good morning, Richard Entrup, Managing Director of 5G Mac at Verizon Business Group. Uh, Verizon is a Fortune 15 telecommunications and technology company uh, broken up into three primary 
divisions, consumer, business, and media. I'm in the business group, so we support 99% of the Fortune 500. Uh, the capacity of my role is really partnering and, and helping CIOs in many sectors to, to figure out 5G and emerging technology and what it means to their digital transformation efforts. Uh, I've been with the company a little over a year and a half now. Prior to Verizon, I was uh, actually a CIO in healthcare twice, two stints in various organizations, and also been in uh, other, other industries as well. So happy oh, to wow. be here. Yeah. Very cool. Very good. All right, uh, Jim, let's start with you. Would you say that dealing with COVID revealed the true, true strength or weakness of a health system's infrastructure? If an organization was not prepared, what was the impact? Yeah, so I, I'd like to say, yes, theoretically, it's going to do that. Um, I've listened to a number of uh, webinars, podcasts from a lot of CIOs over the last year, and I, I have heard some organizations uh, they must have had a crystal ball because they had completely gone uh, digital. They had gone, you know, edge. Uh, they had uh, shifted their network, uh, so they were completely ready for telehealth. So it was just a matter of, oh, okay, now we've got COVID, so there's a little bit more to do. So we just need to scale it up. So they were ready with virtual desktops. So, uh, uh, but I think an organization, whether you were in that situation or not, um, you know, if you have the right people, we know that there's people process technology, but if you have the right people, then they're going to come together. They're going to figure a way out of things. And in healthcare, we're very mission driven. You know, we work together, we figure stuff out. So I think, you know, the overwhelming uh, uh, reports that I've heard is that, you know, whether they were prepared or not, people figured it out and made a way. And, you know, there were some challenges with getting computers and supply shortages and things like that. So it, uh, at Fairview, I arrived basically at the uh, kind of in the throes of uh, COVID around April of last year. And we had already made a decision as an organization to, uh, you know, to be a, a consumer focused digital uh, sort of with the acronym SMAC, social, mobile, you know, analytics and cloud. So to take that direction to literally turn around the organization. Uh, and so I think that was helpful. So there were some things that we had started. Uh, we had we had uh, put our VPN, a cloud-based VPN. We had uh, expanded our internet pipe, uh, which was very small at the time. So, uh, uh, and then so we were able to send, you know, I'm sure like John and others, um, you know, our, our workers had to go immediately, you know, working from home. Many of them still are. So, so I think that uh, uh, you know, there's things that you could have done to be more prepared. Uh, but I, I do believe our vendor partners, you know, Verizon, all of those that we work with stepped up, helped us out. Uh, you know, the, the only ones that didn't step up to help us out were the hackers. You know, so yeah. I heard that they were going to leave us alone and not send any ransomware. But unfortunately, they didn't, uh, you know, that didn't live up. So we are still fighting that battle. So obviously, I'm on, I spent a lot of time on the security side of things. So we're we're definitely uh, in a in a big fight with those guys and gals. But uh, anyway, uh, but just to answer your question, yeah, I think that uh, you know I think the true strength um, of the of the organization is the people, and then we were able to help move a lot of our legacy <clears throat> on premise uh, infrastructure, and and I know we're moving towards the cloud in that direction. So this kind of just accelerated our our look towards the cloud, and then upgrading all of our network infrastructure. So that's very interesting, uh, Jim. And I'd love to, I'm going to ask you uh, just briefly to go into your thoughts around that concept of having the right people. It's off topic, but I think it's interesting that you can do anything if you have the right people. You can make up for anything 
you can accomplish great things. But if you haven't, as a CIO who has lots and lots of people reporting to you, if you haven't taken care of the people issues and made sure you have the right people in the right positions, you there's not much you can do. Just give me your thoughts there real quick. Yeah, I would say that, you know, when it's almost like you have a traumatic, stressful event, and I'm sure John can speak to this uh, for his organization, you kind of are running on adrenaline, you know, so you do what you need to do. You do it quickly. You don't really fully think about it. So we had tons of projects, you know, on the on the 18 month roadmap. We had a, they all got shrunk down to just a few. <clears throat> it was survival mode. It was you know we got to stay solvent. Uh, so uh, so I think that you know the vendor the vendors worked closely with us. But you know, uh, but I think we're coming out of that now. We're slowly kind of untangling, and we're in. I know we started a number of months ago, just saying, hey, how's everybody doing? Uh, you know, what? How's what's the work-life balance? And what we found is a lot of people just are so committed; they just are working 40, 50, 60, 70 hours a week, and they're not even they're not complaining. You know, but we had to say, look, you know, we want to we want to make sure things are balanced. We can't keep this pace up. So I think it's important to, you know, the leadership of the organization, and I, I report to the CDO, Chief Digital Officer, you know, he's very focused on, you know, making sure he's a uh, physician by trade. So he's, you know, I think physicians naturally uh, are uh, going to be very connected to, uh, you know, individuals. That's kind of what they're all about is caring for people. Uh, so, you know, it's, you know, he was, he's always looking towards making sure that we're, we're thinking about the the people and, and uh, their well-being. So we, we have some initiatives right now on well-being uh, that we are moving forward with, uh, you know, just kind of like, move, how do we move forward, you know, in the midst of the end, kind of the tail end of COVID and moving forward. Very good, John. Yeah, I think, you know, I've known Jim a long time and we're good friends. And, and I would say his comments are spot on. Um, I think we're very very similar situation. Uh, we were able to scale and, and move 10,000 people uh, within two days uh, working from home uh, in our organization of 25,000. So, you know, you, you think about, you know, leaders that don't necessarily have to be on the front lines all the time, and maybe they were hybrid back and forth in the office, but, but it, it, we hit 10,000 plus uh, people working remotely and I do want to say, you know, I, we did plan for some events like that because we're in the Northeast, like like you and uh, and Richard are as well. We get hit with some pretty nasty snowstorms in the winter. So we've tested this in the past with about 6,000 people working from home in a day or two. And I was starting to get a little concerned. Any long-term period pressure on the network, what's going to happen when we move 10,000 people? Um, so I was worried about that a little bit in the beginning. Uh, but, you know, we have, you know, all the, the technology in place and it was set up to do that appropriately. But but Jim's right. It's the people process and technology. And I think people that work in healthcare, high T especially and healthcare in general. I mean, that's been obvious throughout the whole COVID crisis that people just they put their head down. They do the work. They get it done. And and it's all about the care of the patient. Right. That's what we're here for. And the work we do is indirect but it's still focused on caring for those patients to make sure they're getting the absolute best care possible. And, uh, you know, I see that in nurses and physicians and everything else as I'm in our hospitals. Um, and it's just amazing. And this is nurses week, by the way, starting today. Yeah, so sure. let's, let's acknowledge that because these people really put their lives on the line for our, for our patients. But, you know, getting back to the IT people, honestly, they can accomplish anything. They can move mountains. We've, 
we've seen this and, and you know the difference and Jim, I think alluded to this, we had 200 some odd projects that were flowing right before that, that we had balls in the air. And, um, and then all of a sudden there was a super intense focus that happened and it was COVID. And it's like, make sure what you're doing keeps these systems up, keeps our people working, keeps access to all this information. And absolutely we did. Um, you know, I think we've had a good, you know, we have a strong CISO and a, and a strong cyber um, team to support this, which is a godsend these days um, and good tools and good planning. That's really been helpful. But, you know, even though this stuff was going on, we launched three huge systems. We went live with three major epic modules. We replaced our lab system, our, our billing system, which were two antiquated separate systems and moved over to Resolute. And then we, we also did our research system. All went live throughout this whole period of time and, and we did a bang up job on it. So, so that focus, that intensity was really important to, to get things done. And uh, what I worry about coming out of this, I, I'll be completely honest with everyone on this call, I worry that the intensity won't be as great and won't be so focused because we'll be diluted with a lot of other project work. So, you know, that's, that's our responsibility as leaders in IT to try to really govern, you know, the process coming in, uh, the demand management process, as well as, as communication. It's all about continuous communication with our business owners and try to set that priority so it's in alignment with the organization's strategy. And really, we do that. We can minimize the amount of, and I'll call it noise, not being disrespectful, but just noise where you're not moving the organization forward. Why even do those jobs? Why we can do those systems? And, and let's focus on the things that really do move the organization forward and, and differentiate us. And, you know, digital is, is the way. And we, we are about 30% of our apps are hosted in the cloud right now. And that's not us. That's not the work we did. That's the vendors we selected that were in the private clouds, which are in the hyperscaler clouds. But we have an initiative right now that we're looking to move our data centers to the cloud. And, uh, and it'll be a hybrid cloud more than likely. Um, so hy hybrid hyperscalers to, to meet our needs, but that will give us the agility um, to be able to respond quickly and do the job the right way for the business to be able to turn on a dime like other industries have done and do things that are more effective. So I'll stop there, Anthony. Uh, quick follow-up, John. Uh, you talked about uh, the noise, and I know you didn't want to be disrespectful, and you want to make sure that you're focused on things that are adding value to the business. Shouldn't proper governance take care of that? It should if it's done the right way. Um, we have not done that the right way in our organization, and we are addressing that. So we are establishing governance councils much lower in the organization we're also, you can reference it as a, as a business relationship manager or a tech analyst, tech consultant uh, to help the business to be embedded in the business so they can understand what the business needs are. It's so much better, and I don't want to be paternalistic in this approach, but it's so much better if an IT person can be working alongside the business person, understand what their needs are, and be, be there as a consultant, if you will, to you know, first off, I don't want to bring in more niche systems. I'd rather use our core systems and leverage that, build new templates if possible, or look at modules that might be available there 
It's already integrated. I don't have to do integration through APIs or HL7 or anything else. It's integrated, it's in that solution and it's, it's completely secured and protected. That's the ultimate scenario if we could do that. If we can't, I would rather the business not go out looking at all these things at a trade show and come back and say, this is the best whiz bang thing ever happened. No, that's not the best thing. It doesn't match our architecture. Um, it's, it's expensive, it's cumbersome. It costs a lot. It costs a lot to have a lot of these niche systems uh, that are supported out there integrated. The integration backlog could be horrendous. You know, those things are challenges and healthcare has got to come up to speed on that. Like other industries, like telecommunications where Richard works and other places, they do it faster. They're much more agile in their approach and we need to be the same way. But that governance process with, with committees that are down deeper in the organization and people that work alongside the business we feel will help. And Gartner has kind of substantiated that. And I'd be interested to see if Jim had, you know, any fortune with that in his area. Well, yeah, we'll check. Go ahead, Jim. Yeah, just to add real quick. Um, so that uh, I was actually going to mention that earlier that uh, we set up that command center kind of model where you had, you know, multiple huddles. Op operations was very tightly integrated into IT throughout this last year. And we still have it, actually. And one of the things that I'm wondering, Richard, also, if you if you've noticed that with your with your clients, um, and definitely Jonathan, your end is in addition to going after some, you know, just a few big uh, rocks, so to speak. There's still the, the, you know, what we found is that there was still a significant need operationally. We had to, we were closing buildings, you know, because we didn't we didn't need those facilities anymore. We're moving, shifting, you know, we had to change some of the purposes of a couple of our hospitals uh, to address uh, uh, a number of different issues. So. Uh, you know, on top of everything, it, uh, without a demand management, without really looking at saying, okay, we got this portfolio of projects, but then we have all this other work that normally is called lights on, doors open, Lodo, that's what they call it in Minnesota, um, or, you know, uh, just core kind of work. And, you know, you could normally you just absorb that uh, without too much of a problem. But in this case, it became actually a significant amount of work. And then if you have a uh, a legacy network uh, infrastructure where you've got like we have multiple we have three different telephony systems that we're trying to support contact centers um, you know it's it, you have to do three times the amount of work to move shuffle people around and then then they, they then they need to move again so where it's that constant shuffling that's important to the business it's important to operations because we've got to take care of, of our operational partners so I think it's just um, recognizing that and then being, you know, being trying to be a step ahead of that. And, you know, the, is the, the more that we can reduce the complexity of our network infrastructure, and as probably we'll talk more about in this time, uh, you know, uh, the private networks, 5G, et cetera, you know, the simpler things will be, because there'll always be that certain amount of work that we have to do that, that in the past wasn't that big of a deal, but now I think it actually, it actually is, you know, it's kind of a little bit painful because we don't, we don't really have the staff be able to do all that and then meet the other large needs that we've got. Richard, got to bring you in here. There's lots there. We're, jump in where you want. Yeah, sure. We, we jumped off the original question, but it's fascinating. First and foremost, Jim and John, thank you and your organizations for providing you know, healthcare services throughout this pandemic. Look, no one has prepared, was, was prepared for this. Uh, having built disaster recovery plans and business continuity plans in many organizations, you never built it for every office to be out or, you know, or your entire workforce working from home. It was either one site, two sites, 
one data center, you had backups. And again, it was an unprecedented event that occurred. Healthcare industry more than others, us as well, providing services um, at hospitals, a little bit of a different dynamic. Everyone can't work from home. So I think uh, Jim touched on it. People are, were key in this. Uh, you know, Verizon is known for running to a crisis. So I'm not gonna say how we fared, which was quite well, but I think healthcare folks and IT individuals having managed IT for many decades, IT professionals run to crisis as well. They will work 24 seven to keep, keep the trains running, if you will. Um, but to get back to the original question, first and foremost, uh, yes, for sure that, um, you know, it exposed many strengths and weaknesses. Again, most organizations were not prepared for the extent of the impact on, on, on office space, on people working from home, on the scalability of their systems, remote access, and all of these things that had to be attended to. Coming from healthcare twice, I'm empathetic with Jim and John also. Uh, you know, I had a CEO in healthcare reminding me all the time that nickels were like manhole covers in healthcare. You don't get extra funds for anything. You justify everything. It's about reimbursement. It's about billing. It's about patient care. Uh, so an IT person going to the table asking for anything above and beyond those key core metrics of the business, it's a challenge. I think COVID has changed that now. Things like cybersecurity, I'm sure you, you, you gentlemen are seeing a, a much bigger demand where actually they're actually proactively asking you all what you're doing with regards to cyber now, as opposed to you having to ask for a phishing testing or other other nice to haves, if you will, back prior to COVID. So I think all of these dynamics have, have changed for sure. The, the, the people part, Jim, resonates with me greatly. Um, I think, again, a lot of organizations that were headed down and were their, their digital transformation journeys that were mature already prior to COVID have fared well because they were online. Uh, in the case of retail, in the case of hospitals and healthcare systems that were already doing telemedicine to a certain extent, that were already mobile first, cloud first, they fared well. Those that were behind the eight ball and probably had a lot of technical debt, if you will, as John mentioned earlier, which every company has, I think healthcare more than others, uh, it was a matter of catching up, maintaining that, maintaining the business as usual that, that Jim mentioned. Oh, and also trying to maintain and, and address all of these new things that popped up as a result of COVID, like real estate and what have you. So again, unprecedented time. Um, and again, those companies, I think that were, were already down a, a maturity level for their infrastructure as well as their, as well as their redundancies had, did, did well for sure. All right, very good. Uh, next question. This is sort of the big one, uh, and we're going to cover a lot of ground here, so feel free to take your time with your answer. Um, John, let's start with you. What are you doing around the following technologies today, and what are your plans for the future? And we've got 5G, private networks, edge compute, and network as a service. Yeah, so you know, 5G, where we are, we're kind of in the uh, a rural setting for the most part. Um, for our corporate location, we have other campuses that are in much more urban settings. Uh, 5G is working its way into our area. I was teasing, uh, <laughs> teasing Richard a little bit. I can't wait for it to get here because I could ditch my cable modem and everything else at home and just go wireless. It would just be awesome. Uh, so that is, that is the plan. Uh, we have a lot of plans for within our organizations. We have DAS antenna systems coming into our hospitals. Um, and so we're doing a lot with different kinds of technology. So 5G will be very welcoming. Um, we're, we've, with part of our digital strategy that we've been working through and, and deploying, 
We're using facial recognition on patients to identify them. They could do it off their smart device before they even walk into a facility. We use geofencing around our facilities, and we link that into our Epic Hello uh, applications. And um, there's another Epic module. I'm drawing a blank on the name of it, but it it really it allows us. You know, once a patient drives up to one of our facilities, we know they're there. And we, we have bots that we communicate uh, text messaging with our patients and everything else. 5G will only make that better, uh, make, the, make the speed um, latency reductions so much better. So we'll continue to, um, to do those digital developments. We do that for a couple of reasons. Number one, it's all about the patient experience and how we can make their, their visit to the hospital or to a clinic fast, seamless, get them in, get them in for treatment or service, and then let them go. You know, they don't want to be bothered with phone calls. They would much rather be text message to, you know, confirm an appointment. Once that's done, just an appointment reminder goes two weeks out, then one week out, then an hour out. And, you know, maybe that's a little too much, but they Mm -hmm. don't complain about it. They seem to like it uh, because it's so much easier. It's less obtrusive if you could just respond to a text message or just be reminded. And then when you when you drive into the geofence area, you could even be in your car and it says, ah, we know you're here. If you'd like to wait, because during COVID times, we would wait until we had the com- or the exam room clean, sterilized, and uh, and give them instructions on where to go to. So they bypass the registration desk, go right into the exam room. So it's better. They don't sit in a waiting area, potentially around other patients, potentially scared of infection and things like that. So that's helped us. Um, I see the facial recognition. This is the tip of the iceberg with registration. I see it much more for, you know, um, five rights before meds administration with an iPhone. Take Confirm the patient's identity uh, as part of the meds administration process. I see it even more importantly before going into surgery. I, I don't want to say more importantly, equally as important as the medication administration process to confirm you have the right patient going in for surgery for the right thing. You know, just to confirm that having been a patient three months ago, I talked to surgeons before I went into the OR and I explained the whole process to them. They're like, wow, that'd be fantastic. And I said, well, it's coming. We'll have it in the next year. So uh, we'll roll it out. So it's, that's been fun. So here we go. I only hit the first topic. I'm sorry. I'm long winded here. Uh, no, no, go ahead. Run, run them down. Everybody gets a few minutes on this. <laughs> okay. Well, private networks, I mean, we do a lot with uh, with virtual private networks. We are people working from home, as Jim had talked about. Um, and Richard, we do a lot of uh, VDI. Uh, not all VDI, because we have our contact center agents and all working from their homes. And, and there's literally uh, about 1,000, 1,500 contact center agents. So we've set them up on, on another uh, private network connection right in so they can get their phone calls right to their home with their headsets and, and be connected right into our network through uh, Meraki devices, uh, ASI, ASA firewall type devices to get into our network and secure it and lock it in. So that's been really helpful for us. Um, we'll see that change a little bit as we start moving to the cloud. Uh, exactly how I'm not 100% certain we're in the assessment and investigation phase right now, uh, looking forward to, to that journey to get to the cloud. We think by, by moving that direction, we will save money for the organization. We will also provide agility to the organization, which you know, part of our plan was to, to put in an API management platform about two years ago. And, um, and we have that live and functioning and doing very well. Uh, we feel we could be much more agile in supporting applications. And when an application gets retired in the cloud, all that cost goes away. 
not just the application support costs, but all the hardware costs, personnel to support that from the data centers, all that cost goes away. So to me, that's very, very important. Um, that gives us the capabilities to act like finance sector and you know, distribution and other, other sectors of industry where IT is supporting them effectively. Um, so edge computing, yeah, we have a lot of IoT devices in our organization and they communicate to edge, edge uh, computing devices where that data is analyzed and firewalled and everything else before it goes out to the cloud or to other data centers. We have multiple data centers right now. Our strategy is to greatly reduce that down to one uh, primary, if you will, where we'll have much less equipment in it. Um, it'll be really an, an MDF main distribution frame for the most part. And then that brings up more complex challenges because then even on the main campus, you have to have an alternate MDF, if you will, in case you have a disaster one location, look at your single points of failure and you don't want to, uh, to have those points of failure. And network as a service, again, it's part of our cloud strategy uh, that we're looking at. So, you know, we will have, you know, uh, we'll have infrastructure as a service, uh, you know, applications as a service, as well as network as a service. So that's all in the planning stages right now. Very good, John. Jim? All right. Yeah, I'm going to definitely be uh, pinging John afterwards because uh, <laughs> there's like a lot of stuff, <laughs> the same stuff going on here. But so very similar to John on the 5G side, where we have looked at, uh, and then actually I can't speak to how much where the saturation is in the Twin Cities, I would imagine it's pretty decent. Um, but we are looking at DAS. We do have a lot of legacy. We have 12 hospitals there. Um, and so we're looking at how can we leverage uh, 5G for DAS. I know that 5G does have the, the ability to have very large capacity and you know we can do service levels so on the private network side, that those private bands, we can take advantage of that. So I think we're looking at that, but but uh, it's uh, it's still kind of like we're still in exploratory discovery mode at this point. So um, uh, yeah, so I'm hoping the advances uh, will be will take place in security. I know that there's uh, that from different things that I've been reading, there still is some security concerns. Uh, and then using that that upper that upper band, it's you know how do you get through some of these thick walls that are like concrete. I know we built our hospitals throughout the years, you know, like they're forts, <laughs> so, operating rooms. And so it's always been a problem where whatever health system I've been in, you know, to get down in the basement <clears throat> and you're trying to deploy secure text messaging or something. And, uh, you know, and you can't do it because, uh, you know, so physicians have to keep carrying pagers, you know, because you don't have that uh, connectivity. Uh, there's there's some issues too, um, also with our medical devices. There, it seems like they're just now trying to, uh, and maybe John, Richard, you can speak to this a little bit. But it seems like they're struggling to keep up with Wi-Fi, you know, just to be compatible and to get them into 5G, you know. Uh, but uh, you know, it just seems like uh, I'm I'm just I'm hoping that there's forward progress. There's some definite opportunity with mobile clinics, as John mentioned, rural healthcare. Um, you know, emergency response. Our we have an ambulance uh, uh, function at our organization, um, and then definitely as a backup backup links for you know data center, uh, and also as redundant links. <clears throat> so I think there's a lot of uses, but probably the two near term ones, uh, other than what I hope is DAS, because that's a kind of a they're very expensive and painful effort, um, is also just the iPhones, tablets, and clinical communications to give give our clinical workers. 
the tools uh, to be able to use, uh, to be able to get what they need when they need it. But, you know, um, I'm just wondering though, in healthcare, we don't really have high density where there's, you know, thousands of people like maybe at a Laker game or, a, or at a, um, uh, twins game or something. So uh, it seems like some of the advantages of 5G we can't necessarily take advantage of because we don't have that large number of dense people, but we do we do have our rural um, geographic areas to cover. So I think, uh, and then it'd be interesting to see what, what 5G is gonna do as they hook up with uh, Starlink and these other you know, satellite technologies. So maybe Richard, you know, uh, or unless John is an expert on that, I'm thinking not, but. <laughs> <laughs> okay, on the uh, on edge, uh, yeah, definitely. Um, we we have started on uh, um, not backhauling all of our traffic through the data center. And like John, we're also looking to get down to uh, one data center where we have a very crisp strategy to move to the cloud. Uh, be curious as what John's is, but uh, but anyway, so we're looking to kind of get that formulated, uh, select our preferred cloud service provider shortly, and then just kind of move forward with that. Um, and then, uh, but you know, I think it's important that with uh, that we also uh, uh, focus on all of the facilities because we can't move our hospitals into the cloud as much as I would like to. Clinics, you know, they're, they're not going to the cloud, so they have legacy, you know, uh, LAN gear network here, wireless, you know, Wi-Fi, we got to take care of our patients with, with uh, secure guest Wi-Fi that's got plenty of bandwidth. And, and we need to give the appropriate uh, bandwidth for all of the mobile devices that our clinical users are now moving into. So I think we have to focus on that. And I think 5G is, a, is you know, hopefully that can help us with that. But otherwise, as John said, the, the compute storage, all that stuff is going to go to the cloud. That's not going to be on premise. So I think, you know, having those pipes and having close proximity to uh, the, uh, you know, the, our, uh, our EHR uh, data centers uh, so that we can get to that uh, because uh, there's a, I'm not saying there's a race to get Epic in the cloud. I, I know that Seattle Children's just released some kind of an article that they're, they're, uh, they've got their EHR in the cloud, but it's, you know, it's important because that's our main application that we use in healthcare primarily. So that right now is uh, at least on the Epic side is, uh, we're still looking to be able to get enough uh, performance and hardware and throughput, et cetera. And the connectivity is going to be important to get that so we can, you know, think about moving that to the cloud. So there's some parts of it that can go to the cloud, but moving the production database, that part, um, it's got a little bit of ways to go. Uh, and I want to also mention that we're looking at uh, SD-WAN um, to give us redundancy to our clinics. Uh, Right now, we do have some single points of failure there where we just have legacy single circuits. And so I think that's going to be helpful um, as we as we leverage that edge compute. And then well, just a quick comment on uh, network as a service. Uh, we have looked at throughout IT to say, you know, where can we leverage managed security services or managed network services? And then John mentioned, you know, IAS and PAAS and SAAS. So I think on the network side, um, you know, um, definitely we're looking at can we take the what's called the level one or level two work, the kind of the the first two grades, and can we is it more economical for um, for a vendor partner to do that as a service, and then we can take our staff, build them up, upskill them, reskill them, so that they can do more engineering, more and analyst type things. And so they'll be more satisfied anyway. So I think we're looking at, you know, network is in, uh, in that area as well as the rest of IT. That's oh. great, Jim. Richard, what are your thoughts? 
So look, the, these four bullets are our services, if you will, in a nutshell right now, from an emerging perspective, 5G consumer and enterprise over the next few months, as you many have recently read, you know, Verizon just spent a significant capital, made a significant capital investment in spectrum acquisition and C-band specifically, not to get too technical, but what that means in a nutshell is that our coverage will be exponentially rolling out throughout the, the country and the world uh, and making this much more readily available at lower frequencies, Jim. The ultra-wideband 5G is operating at the upper frequencies, as you mentioned, doesn't penetrate walls very well, doesn't go long distances. C-band is a sweet spot. It's prime real estate in our business, if you will. The acquisition of that C-band spectrum is affording us the ability to fill in those gaps, if you will, that will provide some of those currencies like high bandwidth, low latency, high density, uh, and, 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 and address these issues. The issue of IoT, listening, Jim, you mentioned one thing about density. I think density, uh, you should be looking at it in addition to just phones, you should think about the future hospital and having many more I IoT devices, patients with monitoring much more, and doctors and devices and equipment all being IoT tagged. That's the density we're going after. A million devices per kilometer will be able to be supported in a 5G uh, environment, unlike today. Um, you also mentioned Wi-Fi and 5G. I don't like to do a 5G versus Wi-Fi. I think each con connectivity have their needs depending on the use case and the demand. What I will say from my perspective as a former CIO and CISO and healthcare tech guy is that I think the big ones for 5G over Wi-Fi are quality of service. When you need that higher quality of service, there's less contention on the network for people trying to get an address. There's also, it's much more secure, quite frankly, cellular networks. And the second bullet here, by the way, private networks, how we look at the term private not necessarily private, like VPN private. We, we see private networking as the ability to take a 5G network or an LTE network for that matter and bring it into your facility with a, with a core, what we call a core, which is our, our radio access and, our, and, a, and a simulated core, if you will. So you're running your own cellular network within your premises or your, at your venue or in your campus with, with phones dedicated. So obviously much more secure, but operating at those 5G speeds. Um, also coming, we're actually piloting that technology right now. Edge computing for us, this is our partnership with Amazon uh, for, pub, for public mechs. We've also partnered publicly uh, with other companies like Microsoft for private edge computing. This is the ability to put the infrastructure, the compute, the memory, the storage in the fabric of the network and deliver it to, you know, within one hop, if you will, or actually putting a, a AWS cloud in your data center. So it's zero hops. And that's how you're going to get to zero to 30 milliseconds in latency. Uh, and then finally, the final point, network as a service, you know, we're on the, we're on the vendor side. As, as we see network as a service, this is Verizon creating a much more hyperscaler delivery, if you will. If you, if you procure services from Amazon today, you go to a very, very friendly website and you select your CPU, your storage, your memory, your, and you provision very quickly real-time self-service. We want to get our business to that same level of self-service capabilities. So we bundle all of our services, SD-WAN, MPLS, Wi-Fi, 5G, all bundled. And you all, the customer, can then procure those services in a much more seamless, frictionless way. And that's how we look at network as a service from our end. So all of these things are technology, right? 5G is connectivity. Private networking for us is also connectivity for, for you all, providing you all with your own cellular network. Edge computing is putting the compute, the processing capabilities closer to the users, closer to 
the applications that need it, the zero to 30 milliseconds in latency. And network as a service finally is again us, the telco, bundling our services in a much more hyperscaler self-provisioning way for you all to procure our services. At the end of the day, this technology will, I, I believe we are about to see a seismic shift in technology adoption over the next five years that we have not seen in the prior 20. Now the folks at Davos and the World, World Economic Forum, you know, they, they spoke in 2019 and they spoke about cloud and IoT and AR, VR and, and XR and AI and machine learning. And those four technologies had been on this kind of trajectory, if you will, of a hockey stick curve upward in adoption, but they've been somewhat limited by latency and by pure throughput and bandwidth, quite frankly. 5G uh, press release yesterday, we just reached four gigabits per second on a C-band, ultra-wideband, I think merged uh, wireless network. That's gonna be game-changing. It's not just about downloading a, a Netflix video faster. It's about the ability to handle you know, large volumes of IoT devices, the ability to have smart cameras in the hospital monitoring people and patterns and equipment and patients and data real time, providing predictive analytics back to the patient, to the doctor, to the caregiver on what to do in that case. Maybe there's, there's also an AI machine learning based self-diagnostic tool coming in the future whereby patients can interface with an AI bot and, and, and expedite the, the need for care as opposed to doing a telemedicine visit uh, online or a physical visit. These are all opportunities, I think, that we're envisioning, just like Uber and, and other things popped up on us. When we went from 3G to 4G, they were unvisioned, quite frankly. So the technology enabled these things. And we as a company are challenging ourselves to, to try to innovate and partner with companies, partner with other vendors, partner with startups in an incubator accelerator model to really identify what this technology means to each sector. So we're very excited about it. And I think, again, over the next three to five years, we will see more change in technology ability in all sectors than we have in the last 20. Wow. That's all I can say to that. That was good stuff, Richard. And I think, I, I think I'm going to call this for the moment, ask Richard a question, because I have a feeling John and, Rich, John and Jim uh, both have a question for Richard. So let's do that. Jim, can you want to ask Richard a question? Uh, yeah. So I... Uh... Uh, John had mentioned uh, uh, facial recognition, and I took a trip to China prior to COVID, and I stepped off of the plane, went into the gates, looked at the, uh, for my next connecting flight, and they, they recognized my face, and it pulled up my, uh, all, you know, my flight itinerary. Of course, there were other people around me. I'm thinking, okay, this is kind of like, <laughs> it's nothing spooky, but, uh, but where do you see uh, Verizon's role in in facial recognition, uh, do you see, uh, is that something that any of your clients uh, are using? Apparently, you know, John's obviously moving forward with it. John will have to talk afterwards so I can get the latest and greatest. Last sure. time I looked at it, it was, there was a lot of, eh, we're not really sure this is quite ready yet. And there was, <clears throat> there was a lot more push towards palm vein, palm readers, uh, palm vein scanners, but that, that can be a little bit intrusive uh, or you know, not, not a comfortable feeling for everybody. But you know, facial recognition, obviously we're using it on our phones, but where do you see uh, facial recognition uh, in this world that we're talking about, the, the big transformation? So I, I think it's, uh, it falls into the category of computer vision or cognitive video, the ability for cameras to look at patterns, people, text, and identify what it is. Um, I actually built a similar system in my previous role in the art world where a computer vision could actually see abstract patterns and paintings and tell you who the artist was. 
We all use Vimeo for wine, Shazam for music. The ability for these bots and AI engines to figure out what it's listening to, what it's looking at, that technology is there. Facebook, if, if you've posted a photo and it tries, it tries to tag your friends, it's pretty uncanny how, how accurate it really is. I've got twins, so it kind of gets them confused, but those are anomalies that we can deal with. But computer vision is here. I, mean, I was in Hong Kong two years ago as well, and they've had that technology in Asia for quite some time. It's here. How the healthcare system uses it, I, I mean, pick a sector and I can give you countless use cases on how they can use it. Um, my only comment on it is that it's somewhat challenged and the ability to, for the camera to look at what it's looking at and quickly make a determination predictively on what it is and, and take an action on that, what it's looking at, that has to traverse today, local networks, VPN tunnel, back to Amazon, back to your data center to look at a database and figure out what it is and then deliver it all the way back. Your latency is 400 milliseconds. If you're in a, in a serious situation at a fire or in a, in a life-threatening situation and you're relying on computer vision to tell you what's happening in real time, 5G and edge computing will, will get you there to zero milliseconds, quite frankly. So that's the use case where the technology is supporting and enabling the technology um, way beyond facial, right? It's, it's patterns, it's people moving through the hospital. It's a room not being cleaned. The cameras can tell you everything. It's synthetic IoT. The cameras can tell you assets moving across through the building. So it's asset tracking, it's operating efficiencies and gains there. It's obviously patient traffic. It's the, the personnel traffic, who's where. It can tell, you know, machinists if they're not wearing and, and, and construction sites, people aren't wearing their helmets. We've got outdoor billboard companies monitoring car grills as they drive by, telling BMW how many Mercedes drove by this region in the last hour so they can deliver a digital ad. I mean, it's here and it's, it's, it's only going to become much more pervasive and 5G and edge computing will enable new outcomes from that technology, I think, in a very significant way. I hope that answers the question. Sorry for the long way. Yeah, awesome. Thank you. Uh, John, do you have a question for Richard? Richard just answered all my questions. Did he really? Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, I do have a question. Uh, so, Richard, you talked about you know 5G and the capability of IoT devices to be able to communicate through 5G connectivity. Is that intended to go to the edge, you know, the edge computing environment? Because we typically are, you know, in healthcare, we don't see a lot of uh, vendors that are always moving up and keeping up with security patching. Jim, I, I'm sure you probably see this in your environment as well. Never. Uh, <laughs> and we still have Windows 7 type devices that we firewall around to protect because they're not there. They're not available or the cost is rip and replace, which is millions of dollars of money spent because of a vendor's inefficiencies or um, ineffective strategic planning on their part to be a partner with a healthcare delivery system. And then we wonder why the cost of healthcare keeps climbing, climbing, climbing. Well, here's some reasons because not everybody's doing the right things and that's what we're dealing with. But, you know, when you get to, you know, infusion pumps or other equipment that's in the healthcare system with IoT capabilities, we try to curtail that or contain it within our network to protect ourselves so that somebody from the outside doesn't hack it, get into in a pump and start changing you know, distribution rates and other things uh, for the infusion of the patient and can potentially hurt or kill a patient, which we don't want to see happen. So how, how would that work in the Verizon environment, so to speak, if these IoT devices are connecting to 
you know, 5G, and I'm assuming that 5G would then connect to an edge edge server, like in a VPN environment in your network. Is that, can you explain how that would work? So let's use the example of Infusion, if you will, or any device that's talking over the network for, for providing, you know, life-sustaining medicine or diagnostics. You know, the room for error is a lot less than any other industry, whether it's broadcasting or whatever, because the, the outcome of an outage or a mistake, if you will, is life, not, you know, off the air or an ad not posting when it's supposed to. So with all that said, I mentioned private networking earlier. Wi-Fi, quite frankly, you've got private networks within the hospital setting. You've got them isolated for security purposes. You've also got them isolated for performance purposes. So you're not wasting, you're not killing the bandwidth for those life threat life systems with email and people searching the internet. You want to keep things isolated based on traffic and utilization, but also for security. The private networking I described earlier gets you out of the Wi-Fi space, gets you more into a cellular internal, think DAS in concept, but much higher frequency, much higher capability, bandwidth, latency, density, in a much more secure way. It's much more, it's almost, I mean, I'm not aware of many cellular networks that have been hacked, quite frankly. Uh, and, I'm, you know, the SIM-based devices, that's, again, going back to my discussion around Wi-Fi or 5G, the two main decision factors for me is um, quality of service and security. Those are two main things. And, and Wi-Fi may be good enough in certain scenarios. In your scenario, I don't think it is. I think I want to maximize the, the most secure connectivity, and I want to maximize the best wireless connectivity. And at this point, I think 5G is going to be proving to be much more effective for those requirements than Wi-Fi will be, or Ethernet for that matter. Thank you. Okay. Wow. There's a lot of wows coming out of my mouth today. I'm, I'm very impressed with this conversation. Um, Richard, do you have a question for either or both of your co-panelists? Absolutely. I, I, I pose it to both. I, I, I'd like to ask, uh, I guess, Jim, first, your capacity as a CISO, um, having been a HIPAA privacy officer and a CISO in previous lives and owning information security, I mean, now more than ever, it's the Wild West with ransomware. It's much more serious. You can lose the entire access to your city, never mind your hospital. Um, do you feel like things have changed in a COVID, post-COVID world whereby your board and your senior management and you're getting the budget and, and what you need to secure the environment properly? Yeah, so I think there's a, a continuously, and I, I like to say not a straight linear uh, lineup, but I think it's bending exponentially at this point. Uh, you know, definitely this last year or two compared to the years prior of the, of the uh, you know, understanding that cybersecurity is a business risk. I mean, it's not, it's not just about getting a bunch of technology. It's Keeping uh, keeping the hospital and the health system operational, keeping them functional. <clears throat> so I know that recently I've been. So I have a very very supportive uh, board of directors. They, you know, uh, so I, I have what I need basically to get things done. Um, you know, you, it's just that you're limited, and I'm sure John can speak to this. <clears throat> you only have so many people. They have uh, you know limited skill set, uh, and then we're doing all these other things. So we're uh, you know, so it's how do you how do you implement the good technology, and then there's a whole host of processes, especially when you're trying to prevent, let's say, fraud. There's a lot of fraud um, initiatives by the uh, attackers, uh, and so it's it's not just throw a bunch of technology. It's also getting the we're getting the business to understand how they can be more uh, thoughtful and purposeful, and that they 
that you know we are under attack. There's threats that are coming towards us, and just getting them to understand that I think is a is a big job. And then you know we can do things like simulated phishing. Phishing is uh, you know obviously a big attack vector to get links and attachments in to you know uh, get those bad payloads uh, initiated. Uh, you know, and so there's there's a lot we can do on the people side and, the, and on the process side, but definitely on the technology. You know, uh, there's the more I think the technology can help. So I've been doing a little bit of work on uh, cybersecurity risk quantification, where you can financially determine, you know, what are the top risks, what uh, what is the cost if they occur, what's the likelihood, and then what would be the cost to fix them. So, you know, and then going to the board with that kind of information, I think is helpful. Uh, so three big ones that, that, that I've recently just been kind of focusing on are uh, uh, business network data center interruption of, of systems that provide our revenue. So quantifying that. So if you have an actuarial one in 100 event, one in a 50 event, one in a 10 event. Uh, so basically just kind of working with our insurance uh uh, cyber insurance company with that. Um, and then data breaches, you know, what are the implications for that? And then uh, thirdly, as we all know, ransomware is a subset of data breaches, but that, that's something that's, you know, it's hitting everybody at this point. So so I think uh, to answer your question, we've got support um, and I, I do believe I have that. And so, yeah, it's, we'll just go forward, just trying to address the top risks. John, one thing I, I want to just interject before we go to John, just real quick, you know, Verizon has a, a uh, data breach investigation report that's probably the most comprehensive in the in the business in the sector quite frankly feel free to download that and it's a wealth of information as a CISO uh, it's readily available to everyone all right thank you John I hate to shortchange you but we got about I'll give you about a minute okay yeah I'd say uh, for us it's been a strategic rollout plan for cybersecurity we've had the endorsement of the board uh, to continue doing that, you know, advanced endpoint security and network surveillance and everything else is part of that. Um, you know, MFA, the whole works. I mean, everything you could throw at security, we throw at security. Uh, one of the things I, I would say, I'm on the Enterprise Risk Management uh, Committee, and IT is heavily scrutinized, obviously, information security heavily scrutinized. But we just came through a three-hour session with underwriters all over the world. Lloyds of London and everything you can imagine for our cybersecurity and the questions they hit you with are getting tougher and tougher and tougher every year. And uh, what we're doing to get there, to be even more prepared is to follow the NIST standards so that we meet SOC 1 and SOC 2 certifications for our health plan for future business. We're working hard at that. It's going to take us 18 to 24 months to get it fully rolled because it's like like hundreds of pages, hundreds and hundreds of pages of standards. So it's kind of crazy. But um, it is the requirement that we need to get to, and we recognize that. So, again, it's another another uh, thing that, that has to be addressed. And cyber is no no joke; it's very serious. And, and Jim, in his role, I I can respect that because I know it's tough tough work. Wow! Incredible, incredible conversation today. That is uh, about all we had time for regarding continuing education. You can use the final slide in this deck you'll get an email when the on-demand on recording is ready for viewing if you want to sponsor an event with us you can reach out to nancy wilcox from our team and you can go to our site to register for upcoming webinars with that i want to thank really a tremendous panel today jim brady john kravitz and richard entrip and i want to thank our sponsor verizon very much for making it possible and i want to thank you our attendees and with that everybody have a wonderful day 
Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.